I hate to stop all the conversations, but I should get moving today. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, if someone could, could you grab the doors, Mom? Thank you. Um, let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into talking about Job. Holy, mighty God, thank you for this day, this family, and the word that you give us to learn from and to gain wisdom from, and I pray that you will help us do that today. That you help us to see the things that you want us to see in, in your scriptures and and to come to it with an open mind and an open heart. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, um, welcome to class. Uh, last week we talked about... Uh, Job's Lament, mostly chapter 3, talked about, um, well, first we talked about, I got kind of nerdy with you guys about the great symbiosis and and how, what that that idea was in the ancient world, and how how it's not so much just an ancient world thing, this idea that if you do something for God, then he'll do something for you. It's like I joked, heavenly quid pro quo, like you do something for me, I'll do something for you. And how um, that that's how the ancient world religion was set up. Uh, that the if you if people wanted blessings, they had to do work for the gods, and that's why the gods created the people so they do work for the gods. And if the gods want to keep getting worshipped, then they keep doing stuff for the people, and back and forth. And how when you combine those things with the retribution principle, the idea of uh, if you want good things, you do good things. That the great symbiosis leads to a mercenary religion. This idea that I'm only in this Christianity thing or whatever it is for stuff that I get out of it, for my uh, reward. And um, oh, getting that sound again. It's not. It's not your fault. <laughs> So, and, and how that was very much the, like I said, very much how things were set up in ancient religions, but it's also kind of how we can tend to do our relationship with God if we're not careful. Um, we, we can too easily treat our faith, with God, faith in God like a job we hate, like I'm doing this thing because I've got to do this thing so I can get to heaven. Um, and but I'm, it's not because of any good thing or any any good relationship and how a healthy marriage or friendship is not set up this way. So we shouldn't be setting up our faith in God in this this way. And but th- this is not how Job r- approaches God. But I brought the, all this up because this is how everybody around him at the time would have been approaching God, and how his friends assume things are working as well. Um, but Job's not playing this game. And so um, and we, then we looked at, I mentioned we, about how Job seemed to be doing okay. He says, you know, God gives and God takes away. And, and he kind of gets on his wife for telling him to give up. And all of chapter 3, and this is the, the end of chapter 3, but the, the entire chapter is um, Job cursing the day he was born, uh, wishing he hadn't survived birth, and lamenting his current situation. And it's all very elaborate and beautiful poetry 
And, but it's also very, very depressing. But it's also very understandable. <laughs> he, he's had some really bad things happen in his life. I mean, he's lost absolutely everything, more than I can imagine. Um, but uh, today we'll be reading a lot of verses, but what we're going to be looking at is Job's friends. They have been... Um, they have come to him before the lament started. They, it mentions that they came to him. And from far away, they didn't even recognize him because he looked so different. And he's sitting in this ash pile. And they sit with him in silence for seven days, which is great. Uh, just, let him, just being there with him as his friends. And then they begin talking to him. Um, and, but before we get into that, I was, I was thinking last night when I was putting some of this together that all of us have had some sort of suffering in our lives at some level. I mean, some quote-unquote worse than others, but it's not a competition. <laughs> um, and when those tough things hit, those around us inevitably want to say something. They want to say something to make it better. They want to help, and we know that they want to help. Um, but one thing that I've found is almost universal is that when you're suffering, someone's going to say something stupid or hurtful. In an attempt to make things better, they make things worse. Uh, and so before I get into Job's friends saying stupid things that make things worse for him, I just thought it would be uh, interesting to hear some of the things that you guys have heard said to you, or maybe said yourself. I'm not going to ask you which one it was. Um, but it's kind of to help us all to know what to maybe to not to say to people. Uh, so who, who, who has some good ones? I, I've got a whole list of things that people have said to me. Yeah. God needed another angel. God needed, that's the first one I wrote down. God needed another angel in heaven. Yeah. I've, that's not so super helpful. Okay. And to be clear, some of these things that people say help some people, and sometimes they hurt people. And sometimes if someone... My rule is if if the person in pain or suffering says it themselves, it's an okay thing to say because they relate to that emotion. And so things that people are saying are not universally bad or universally... Sometimes they are. Like, get over it. You know, that that's not a good thing to say. A poem that you could be shunned for being divorced. Uh, yeah, that should expect it. Should expect it? Wow. That's that's hurtful. Yeah. They're in a better place. They're in a better place. Yeah. Sometimes that's that's exactly what you need to hear. Sometimes that's not. Yeah. The saying that God never gives you more than you can handle. Yes, God never gives you more than you can handle. Yeah, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. You'll see the good in this someday. That may be true, but not when you're right in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. I hate when people say everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Yep. Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, there's a difference between teaching people something. Like, let's, for the sake, let's assume that that's true. I don't think it's true. Assume that everything happens for a specific reason. That's not helping someone get through grief. It's, just, it's teaching them a thing. It's stating a fact. 
they will be there in a better place. True. That's maybe a fact, but yeah. Any other? Yeah. Yeah, just so be there and be so, sorry. So my story is just real quickly. I was in a car accident as a young man. Uh, I injured someone very badly, uh, almost to the point of death, certainly to the point of lifetime handicap. Um, I think my, my, my name was in the paper. Uh, that was on a Friday. On a Saturday, my best friend's dad knocked on my door and came to sit with me. And he's a very logical, unemotional kind of a physics lesson about how two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. Okay. And for a while, I was really not happy with his attempt at help. But nobody else knocked on my door. Uh, he came and sat with a person who was like, like Job. And you know, we don't want to be around people in bad states. We, we, we try to avoid it. And so over the years, I would still say, you know, to answer your question, physics lessons aren't the best. You know, physics lessons aren't the best. Yeah. I, I think we should. I think there are some things we can say that are borderline unforgivable. Um, but in my case, in this story, I, I look back on it and think of that very engineering-minded, compassionate man who didn't have great words, but came anyway. He tried. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've softened over the years about what a nice thing that was, even though. He wasn't well equipped. We're trying to fix things is the answer. We're trying to fix things and make everything go away. Right. And that's just not possible. Yeah, when, when, that's a good way to put it. When, when people are dealing with a hard thing, whether it's a death or a diagnosis or whatever it happens to be, job loss, we want to fix it because we love them and we care about them. We want to do something. But I think it's important to realize that we can't. Um, the only thing that we can really do is to be strength for them when they are weak, be there for them. And like, that's why sitting with someone, just being there with someone is so important because there, there are things you go through where you just feel like you want to crumble and having someone there to lean on, even just emotionally, not physically, but have someone to lean on is, is so important. I mean, we went through a, when we were living in Germany, we went through a, uh, miscarriage sorry and uh, somebody said to me that at least you can have another baby <laughs> seriously <laughs> how is that supposed to help maybe true but it doesn't help um, I've, heard, I've heard things like God must be teaching you something you need to learn um, well Parkinson's doesn't kill you so that's good True, but um, when I when I thought that I might have MS as well, I was talking to somebody and they said, "Oh, my aunt has MS, and she was she's in or she had MS, and she was really in bad shape before she died." I'm like, I understand the desire to connect, but um, I've had people saying, "I know this is meant the best way possible, but well, you don't look sick." You look great. Um, and 
are you sure you're praying for the right thing? Things like that. So, like I said, I think people are trying to help. And as we'll see, I'm pretty sure Job's friends were trying to help. I think they had the best intentions. Um, But it didn't work out that way for, for Job. He didn't exactly feel better. So um, I'm going to do my best to cover, cover 24 chapters today. <laughs> um, I'm not going to talk about how many pages of notes I've got. So Job's, and it's, it's not as hard as it sounds because they kind of say the same thing a lot, but in different ways. So like I said, they've been with him for seven days, and they start ta- talking after his heartbreaking lament, after um, he has talked about how he wants he wishes he was never born and all that stuff. And they do what you probably shouldn't do when someone is suffering like Job, and they tell him what he, they think he did wrong, and they give him lots of unwanted advice, and they basically say, you, got, you get what you had coming to you. Um, and they're basically staging an intervention. They come to him, and they're like, okay, Job, let's, let's fix this. Um, and some, see, some people see the role of the friends in the book as giving an, an, an anti-example of how to comfort somebody, and that's, that may be true, that that's, they kind of provide the example of what not to do, but I don't think that's the point of the book. The, the book is trying to teach us things about God and things about it, like overall eternal truths and things like that. They're, and these guys are not role models in any way. They're role players. They play a role of... It's a philosophical role of representing the sages of the ancient world, representing what the people in the time would have believed and when, when, what they would, uh, people at the time would have read. And so they're kind of like the voice of the, the common man. And they're, they're, what, the things that they say at the time would have been considered the height of wisdom, the absolute best thing. That, like, if anybody knows what's going on, these guys know what's going on. And so they're really stand-ins for the culture at the time. But, and we can be certain of this because God says that, says this about them later, most of what Job's friends say is wrong. They are not representing God correctly. And this is kind of consequently like the longest section of the Bible that I know of that has, contains mostly incorrect statements. And so, so also a really good example of why you should really read the context of what you're reading because you can pull, I've heard verses pulled from what these guys have to say as gospel truth. This is how things are. And the whole point is that this is not how things are. And so always, always keep that in mind. So uh, in chapter 4 through 27, there are three cycles back and forth between Job and his friends. And they go like this. Eliphaz says something, Job replies. Bildad says something, Job replies. Zophar says something, and Job replies. And as they go, they get kind of shorter and shorter and more angry at each other. And the intensity emotionally ratchets up the whole time. And at the, lo- the last cycle, the third cycle, Zophar doesn't even get to say anything. I guess Job's just like, done. And um, they, they, they stop talking. And then we get into chapter 28, which we'll talk about next week. And Elihu, which we'll talk about next week, who's like this guy that just shows up um, and is kind of seems to be kind of the voice of the Israelite in the whole thing. Um, and the retribution principle, as I mentioned before, is almost is part of almost all of their speeches. 
And it's not just the friends who have this belief, it's Job too. And it, every single character in this book has this opinion of the world, except God. Even, as we mentioned, the challenger, uh, Satan in heaven, has this exact same opinion of things, or assumes that things work like this. It's just a given. And, so, and the friends' arguments aren't super different from each other. I mean, there's some like nuances, like, um, but they all kind of effectively are saying the same thing. More or less, they spend their time telling Job that he's in this situation because he's a sinner, and telling him how to get back his back life via mercenary religion type of actions. So back to this triangle that we talked about multiple times. According to Job's friends, God is good and just. The retribution principle stands, so therefore Job must be wrong. Because only two of these thing, three things can be true at a time. Um, and so let's get into what they have to say. I'm going to be going through lots of scriptures kind of quickly. Um, and, but they'll all be on the screen. So, like I said, Job has just finished his lament, talking about how he has no peace, no quietness, no rest, but only tur- turmoil. And Eliphaz starts to talk, um, but and he starts it out rather kindly, even kind of complimenting Job, saying, like, think of all the people you've helped and the people you've uh, taught things about God and... But he quickly jumps into this retribution principle thing and starts implying that Job is a wicked man in chapter 4. He says, Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. I don't know. That's never happened. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish. At the blast of his anger they are no more. I mean, when when you read that, it seems kind of ridiculous. It's like, well, I know lots of people who, being innocent, have perished. I mean, think of every child ever who has died, right? Gotten cancer or whatever, fill in the blank. Um, People who have been innocent die. It's just a thing that happens. Or have bad things happen to them. But once again, this is the legitimate belief that's being analyzed in, in, this mo- in the large majority of this book, that if ever someone has been destroyed or hurt or anything, there's no way they're innocent. They've got to have done something wrong because God would put an end to them if they were bad. And the only, if you are successful, you are therefore a, a good and innocent person. So Eliphaz then, is try- like I said, he's trying to be helpful. He's trying to be a good friend. So he recommends that he take his case to God. He's like, if I were you, I'd appeal to God. I'd lay my case, bef- my cause before before him, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Okay, that's sure, that's true. And then, then he basically says, you should be happy about this stuff. It's a blessing, what's happening to you. He's like, blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Basically implying... What is happening to you is God correcting you, you should, and that, which is a good thing, which is true. God corrects you, that's a good thing, but like we, the reader, and Job know that he's innocent. He, didn't, he doesn't need correction. He's a holy and blameless person in God's eyes. And so um, later, and then Bildad, in a few chapters, piles on. I'm going to go through what the friends have to say before I get into what Job has to say. 
because it, it's not he doesn't really answer like argument per argument. He mostly just is saying the same thing each time as well. So Bildad comes along and he's like, "Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against Him, He gave them over to the penalty of their sin." What's he saying here? Your kids died and they deserved it. That, that's a great thing to say to someone who's in, in pain because their children died. Um, and, but once again, he's here to tell Job how to take care of the problem. He says, but if you you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Once again, back to this quid pro quo thing. If 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 you're a good person, you'll get back the stuff you lost. Um, Which, right after saying your kids died because they deserved it, is not so much comfort. Um, because, and it, it a little, it, I've, I've heard people say, like at the end of the book, spoiler alert if you haven't read it, at the end of the book, Job gets back all of his stuff and he has kids again, and it's, the implication is not he got back his kids and it's all, all is good. I mean, he still lost his kids. He has more kids, but that doesn't mean that he's fine because he has more kids. But then Zophar chimes in, chapter 11. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. I mean, in other words, you have sinned so much. First of all, he's like, I'm sick of you talking, Job, because I wish God would just tell you what's up and... and say something against this, but you've seen so much that God has even forgotten some of his, your sins. The implication, again, once, once again, is that there's no way that this is, could be happening to you without the sin. And then he insults Job by telling him he couldn't possibly understand what's going on, because he's talking about, like, here's wisdom is this way. And he says, but wit, the witless can no more become wise than a wild donkey's cult can be born human. <laughs> Yay, friends. Uh, but he has advice as well. And I didn't put this whole thing on screen because it's, it's long, but he says, Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free from fault you will lift, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday, and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safely, safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid, and many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail, and escape will elude them. Their hope will become a dying gasp. And if you guys haven't read this whole section, I would really recommend just sitting down and reading these chapters. They, they, go, they go fast. I mean, this seems like chapters are long, but they're pretty quick. They're pretty quick. But the, the poetry is just beautiful. Even when they're being stupid, it's, it's really pretty poetry. But 
once again, he's like, if you just, if you would, Job, please, I want you to have what you had before. I want you to be blessed, but all you need to do is devote yourself to God. Not realizing that that's what he has spent his whole life doing. He's the most devoted to God person that you could find. And he's one of the few people in the Bible who's referred to as um, being blameless and God's servant and things like that. And so um, this, this is basically the entirety of the, Job's friends' comments to him. This kind of thing over and over and over. They, they eventually ratchet it up to the point where they're actually accusing him of like stealing people's stuff and raping women on the road and all kinds of horrible things. They assume that he did because, well, he must have. The, the severity of his quote-unquote punishment is so bad that he must have done something really, really bad to deserve it. And Job gets more and more angry along the way. Um, and most of his responses are... He starts by responding to the friend, kind of what they said a little bit. Um, and then he addresses God in some way in every single time. And, and, most, and he, he's super not happy with his friends, obviously. <laughs> He says, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty, but my brothers are as under, undependable as intermittent streams. And he, then he goes on for like six verses describing the streams that are intermittent and they freeze in the winter and all this stuff. Um, basically, you guys are not helping. <laughs> you guys are, thanks for trying, but you're not helping. And then things get pretty sarcastic, and I, I love Job's sarcasm. Surely you're the only people who matter. And wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you, and I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? And so this is after responding to being told that he's basically stupid. And he says, and once again, he affirms what that he's like, I know this stuff. I know what you're saying is true, or he thinks that they are. He thinks that this retribution principle talk is accurate. Um... And then he says, uh, if only you'd be altogether silent for you, that would be wisdom. Which is honestly probably something I could put on my mirror. Um, that that's, It's not an untrue statement for most people. I've heard many things like these. You are all miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? Are you guys sick in the head? Your windbags. One translation says, will, you, will your windbag speeches never end? Um, so he's not happy with his friends. He, he replies to them very upset, understandably. And, and throughout the whole thing, Job keeps begging God for an audience. That's when, whenever he replies to God. That's mostly what he's saying. He's like, I want, if I could just talk to God... I could convince God that I'm I'm really innocent, and if I could do that, then I could get I could be back to where I was before. Um, one thing that I, we talked about, I think I mentioned last week about how um, what, how Job could lose this case for God. The title of the class: God on trial. God is being analyzed for are his policies true and good, and 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 the best way to do things. And one of the ways that Job could lose this trial for God as, as being the star witness is that if he does try 
this quid pro quo stuff and if he does do what the friends want him to do. Because they keep saying, if you'll do this and this and this, you'll get your stuff back. And Job always says, but I'm innocent. I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. I'm not going to do this stuff because I don't need to do this stuff. But if, if Job turns around and says, you know what, I'll give that a shot. I'll go make the sacrifice or do whatever I th- you think I need to do. Then that proves Satan's point. It proves the point that that's the only reason Job's in it is to, to get his to get his blessings. But Job is convinced that if he could just bring his case before God and convince God that he would, God would see as he's innocent and take away the suffering, he, Job thinks that he's on trial when it's actually God who's on trial. And that's how he's responding to the situation, and that's how his friends are responding to the situation as well. Because he knows he didn't do anything wrong, we know he didn't really do anything wrong, and he does, definitely doesn't deserve what's going on, and that's kind of the whole point. He doesn't deserve this. Job says, um, oh, there we go. Oh, I, missed, I missed a slide. Job says, I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? And then he says in chapter 7, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? Who, you who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? And I, I could see how he might feel that way. If you're convinced that God gives you blessings for being good, and you're good, and you get what he's getting, it's like, what, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? He says, now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. He's so convinced. Chapter 23, if only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. But like I said, Job is not the one on trial. He's the, one, he's the star witness of, of, the, of the defense here. But through it all, Job continues to maintain his innocence. He says, my face is red with weeping, dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence, and my prayer is pure. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Kind of echoing the Cain and Abel story about how um, like, his blood cries from, to me from the ground. And he's like, don't cover my blood ground because I want, I want it to cry to God. May my cry never be laid to rest. I have not done anything wrong. And he's so convinced of his innocence and so convinced of the retribution principle that he eventually starts accusing God in the, the end of, uh, near the end of what he has to say, chapter 27. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, and that's the key, God has denied him justice. The Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit that you are right, you're in the right, Till I die. This is talking to his friends. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. So this is what Job's triangle looks like. He's, he knows he's innocent. He's convinced of the retribution principle. So therefore, God must not be giving him justice. God must not be a good God. And this is honestly the kind of the triangle of a lot of 
people who I've come across. And some of, maybe, some of us maybe struggle with this kind of thing as well, that we see injustice in the world. We see good people having, being hurt, having bad things happen to them. And we think, how can there be a good God? How can God be good? He must not be. We're convinced that that's the, that's the sole problem of pain problem that, we, that humanity has with God. We assume that we know how God works and how he should work. We assume that we know how he should handle affairs of the world. And when that doesn't work, the only answer we can come to is that God is wrong. We never come to the conclusion that we might be the ones who are wrong. And we'll get into this. But I'm, gonna, I'm trying to, trying to uh, reserve enough time to have an entire class just to talk about this problem of pain and, and what that means for us. But in chapter 31, Job has his last say. He says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. He's still pleading for God to listen to him. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. He's so convinced that his indictment would be so clean and pure, he'd like, I'd, wear, I'd wear that like a crown because I know it's, it's perfect. I mean, I could go on and on about this, um, but uh, you really need to read this, this whole thing for yourselves. What it comes down to is this. Job's friend said, you did something wrong and you got what you deserved. And Job says, I'm innocent and God is unjust. There's 24 chapters for you. Um, lots more is said. There's lots of subtlety and, and things that you can learn from what, what both sides say. But that's what it kind of comes down to. And then um, I mentioned chapter 28 comes next, and then uh, which is kind of the, the core of the book. And then uh, Elihu has some things to say, and then God replies. And we'll get to those things a little bit next week. But looking back at the whole back and forth between Job and his friends, something kind of struck me with this whole thing. Why, and this is a question for you guys, finally, why are his friends giving him such a hard time? Why don't they trust what he has to say? Yeah. Yeah. If, if it was just being diagnosed with a disease or something similar, then I'd say, man, this is life. But if it's everything, if it's everything all at once, man, you can almost see why his friends are like, what did you do? And even Joe or something like that, you can, you can see yourself going, man, I must have done something wrong. And so that's kind of what bothers me about the book is I hate, I hate it that I, I kind of would think that way. But man, all of that happened. All of this. You think this is supernatural? This is weird. This is crazy. Um, and so I don't know. I think that's part of it's eating at me. Um, well, I mean, I I know that I definitely had those feelings when I was something simple as a d- disease. Right. I, I'm like, I, <laughs> what did I do wrong? You know, it's it's like almost an automatic response that some I must have done something wrong. I, I, that didn't last terribly long, but um, yeah. But that, that brings me to this. 
text just said, his friends started throwing into incoherent ramblings, pious ramblings. Why doesn't it just say pious ramblings here? <laughs> why do we have to endure the pious ramblings? You know? And why do you well, think- Star Wars could have been nine minutes long, Jeff. <laughs> The, the, I think the whole point is to kind of set this tone and show, because you, throughout the, Job's responses, you see him going through some serious struggle, and he's trying to work this out himself as well. And he starts out at the beginning saying, well, you know, God's in charge. And then by the end of it, he's like, ah, God has wronged me. He's done something wrong. And so I think it just shows this progression of pain and suffering and and. The just the continual beating from his friends. Yeah, Kathy. Uh, why are his friends giving him such a hard time, and why don't they just trust him? Let me say that time moves very differently for people who are suffering and people who are not. That's so very true. Go ahead. Yeah, they probably, that's a good point. They, they, they may have thought that he, he had had enough time. He'd had seven days of being in pain. He's, it's time to move on. I mean, if I, if I ask the question, how long is long enough to grieve the death of a spouse or a child or a parent, how, how long is long enough? I mean, that, you can't answer that. That's a very individual thing that every person has to deal with. The loss of everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, none of them are super helpful. Yeah, they're demeaning, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, Ariel? Yeah, good, good intentions don't take away the, the sting and the hurt, yeah. I do think that that's something that maybe we should keep in mind in reading the book, is I, I actually don't think that guys ever had good intentions. And so when we read the book and we say, man, the wisest thing they did is just sit there, I disagree. I wish they wouldn't have shown up. Um, I don't like these guys. I, I mean, it's really real. I, 
it, there's a lot of people like that that are just like, you know what, I don't want you to show up in my house when I'm feeling that way. If somebody, if somebody is really going through pain, their emotions are raw. And a lot of times, as we, as we discovered in this class, there are very few things that you can say that aren't offensive to somebody when their emotions are raw. Um, it's hard to come up with a list of okay things. You can't talk about heaven. You can't talk about God's presence. You can't, there's, your, your list of things you can say that are not offensive becomes extremely limited. But if you know somebody's heart is with you from the beginning and they care for you and they genuinely want to be there with you, you have so much more patience with what they say. But these guys, man, I, I wish they hadn't shown up. I wish they hadn't shown up as well, and I don't like them either. And I still, I still think they had good intentions because they're they're trying to to they're, they keep trying to help him out, but they're going at it completely the wrong way. And what I I'm, I can't take any more comments. I'm sorry, we're ending classes over. But um, what kept striking me is that they're supposed to be his friends. They've come from a long way away to help him out, and they I guess they heard his his difficulties. They show up, and he keeps saying, guys, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm, I know I'm innocent. And they're like, whatever. So they're, they're clearly not good friends, but, it, but you, get the, you get the vibe that they were at some point his close friends. And he even prays for them at the end of the book as well. But um, they, the thing is, they, they don't trust him, and they don't believe what he's saying. Because they're so convinced that he's they, that they know why, they're absolutely convinced that of the retribution principle that that's true. And what what's happening is they've based their belief on a mistake. They've made a mistake in their theology and their belief of how God works. And as a result, they're tearing apart their friendship. They're beating down their friend in, in his time of greatest need. And God does not run the world like they think he does, but they're so convinced that he does that they feel justified in treating their friend like dirt. And like you said, not once does any one of them say, I wonder if you're right, or I wonder if God does work like that, or I wonder if something else is going on. And so it kind of made me wonder, how, what I'm, how, how am I like that? What things in my life am I so convinced of, or beliefs that I have that I'm so convinced of, that I'm willing to treat other people badly. Can I, like, what's my triangle look like? I know I'm right, and I have a mistaken belief, because uh, I, I, I know I do, I'm sure I do. And what other people am I sure are wrong, and am I, am I willing to treat as though they are wrong in some way, shape, or form? And... I, I know that I'm, I've got, there's got to be something like this. So I, what I want, what my plea for you guys is to always be willing to be open to the fact that you might be wrong about something. Uh, it's, it, always be sure of your faith and what you know to be true. Be willing to, to realize that, that you may not, you're, you're not a perfect person. You make mistakes. You, make, you have wrong ideas. And especially, be careful of your beliefs you're so, concer- you're so sure of that you're going to be starting to hurt other people and treating them as less than because of it. And so, um, we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that next week, but um, we're a little over time, so thanks for being here today, everybody.